0: If being called a racist, or that your words are called racist is the worst thing that could happen to you, consider being on the receiving end of racism. And so you may make a mistake, but you generally will not pay with your life. And that has been the cost of racism for people of color.
1: Kathy Kong is the author of the brand new book called *Raise Your Voice: Why We Stay Silent and How to Speak Up*. She's a speaker, a journalist, an activist. She works in issues of gender, ethnicity, justice, and leadership development. She writes for Sojourners Magazine, Faith and Leadership, and she's the co-author of the book *More Than Serving Tea*. This book is such a helpful guide for those of us who want to learn how to dialogue about the important issues in a pluralistic society where we have lots of listening to do, but also lots of speaking to do. There's just so much to learn. And Kathy's really such a good person to learn from. I really loved our conversation. I think you will too. Uh, So after you listen, go out and get her book, you can find the links on the show notes to buy her book, raise your voice, why we stay silent and how to speak up as well as all the ways to connect with Kathy on Twitter, Facebook, and through her website on the show notes. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Kathy Kong. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to this good word. And my name is Steve Weens, And I'm here with Kathy Kong. Hi, Kathy.
0: Hey, Steve. Uh,
1: as I've been reading your book, um, I'm struck by how uh, timely it is right now. Honestly, and I'm sure you're you're, you're getting that a lot. Yeah. But there is just so much need for some help in how we dialogue with each other about important things. Um, so, first of all, thanks for writing this book. It is I, I'm really enjoying it. It's really really good. So good. thank you.
0: So you're welcome.
1: And um, right in the beginning, I was fascinated that you wrote about how your um, practice of journaling as a kid, can, you, you sort of traced your ability to find your voice back to that. So say more about that because I love that little uh, window into your childhood.
0: Yes, so it was more about practicing penmanship. I think is what my <laughs> dad intended, and it was a practice that he started. I, I mean, I remember it as far back as probably second grade, and we've dug up some of those old journals. So um, it was just something that my dad thought would be a good uh, practice for me. So every day, writing a few sentences about my day, nothing deep from a second grader, but. I know that from that, I always knew there was a space where I could be unfiltered and honest. And so, you know, there were days where I wrote, like, I had a hot dog for lunch. It was a very good day. And that sense of, like, I could say what was important to me and what I enjoyed. And it didn't matter what anyone else thought. It was my space.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. Well, because I think you know so many of us have uh, journaled and maybe we've gotten in and out of it but for you to go back to that and even see and you know like our parents I mean I think as a as a dad myself it, it, it's so helpful to know that even sometimes when we have an idea for our kids right. they can <laughs> that might be not that awesome they right. can turn it into something better uh, sure, so
0: sure. Oh my and God. my friendship is awesome actually <laughs> my handwriting is beautiful but I know that that's not I mean, you know, that's what my father intended. I just don't think that he was thinking ahead and going Oh, this is a great way to encourage my daughter to find her voice yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean In my opinion, Chip is horrible. I mean, it is awful. I, I cannot write in cursive number one and, and even my like printing, hard block printing, I have to really focus on writing slow if I'm going to write like a little note to someone. Um, so, so, so kudos to having good penmanship, Kathy. That is so good. Um, okay, so there's a quote that you uh, have that I want to read, and it's about agency as it relates to Imago Dei, the image of God in which we're created. And you write, our voice, our influence and interaction with people and the world around us is embodied through our words and actions. So talk a little bit about your view about how our voice and our words, um, and our essentially our agency, comes from a healthy view of our image of God.
0: Well, so I, um, when the idea of the book started to form and using the language of voice, I wanted to make sure that readers did not assume it only meant the things that came out of our mouths right. um, and that this uh, sense of voice was not just an oral tradition, but that it was about our lives and our, the fullness of our lives. And so I really um, spent some time reflecting on that idea of Imago Day being created in God's image, having God's image in us. And, and then that goes back into who God is, God as creator. And that all of creation speaks to god's goodness so all of what god created speaks to god's goodness and thinking about that uh, made me pause and probably held me back a few years from actually writing the book was to consider what does that mean Uh, for me as somebody who Does that work primarily through words, whether written or spoken, but to take some time and thought in examining how do my actions, how does the fullness of my life actually reflect God's goodness? So that's what I mean by it's not just our words, but our actions that reflect Imago Dei.
1: Beautiful. Uh, and you write pretty extensively about the um, the story of Esther in the yeah. Bible and about how you resonated with that and why you resonated with that. So uh, I would love to hear more about when that bubbled up for you and, and, and what you're seeing in that.
0: Well, I always had heard and uh, engaged with the book of Esther as a beauty pageant. So, you know, there's, there was a lot spoken of beauty and, um, you know, how Esther kind of, the king is attracted to her and so she becomes the next queen and you know i've been at women's conferences where we've spent time in esther and even i have a recollection of being an mc at such a conference and you know at my shtick was i came out with like a beauty pageant sash and a crown and and this sense of um a, a pageant a contest but uh, as i dug deeper into her story and into the book itself I resonated because, um, you know, the book is named after Esther. It's one of the few books in scripture uh, named after and about a woman. Yeah. And we don't hear from her until about four chapters yeah. into the book. And I thought, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um and there are just so many li- layers in Esther's story. You know, she's she's got two names, she's Esther and Hadassah. And uh so she's she's bicultural and um her experience being um pulled into uh the king's court is because another woman Risked raising her voice and paid price. I mean, there are so many things about that for me. I thought, oh, this isn't this isn't the story of a beauty pageant, which seems so far off from my life experience, um, but one that resonated for me as somebody who is now called Kathy Kang, but my given name is Kang Kyung Ah in Korean. and um, And that this kind of hyphenated identity as a Korean American or Asian American, and this sense of trying to kind of pass into white America, or even into white evangelicalism. And so I spend a lot of time digging through and kind of unpacking Esther, because I first heard her story and read it through a very male, white male Western lens and realized, oh, this isn't that. This is actually a story of agency and advocacy and justice and finding your voice and risking so much um, to step into that
1: yeah I, you know that's interesting um, because they I mean growing up I, I heard the story of Esther as yeah this this beauty pageant person that that sort of stumbled her way into history and almost by accident oh by the way you know said something that changed everybody's minds uh and it was sort of surprising because look at this beautiful woman you know versus no no you idiot she (laughs) is brilliant and courageous and yeah the whole book is named after her and so um so i i really enjoyed how you how you played with that throughout the book um, as it relates to agency and 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 you do talk about how raising your voice comes at a cost like it did with esther um and and i i think like everyone would sh- would nod their head and say well yes of course it does but talk more about about some maybe even some stories about how that has come at a cost for you <laughs>
0: oh um I hope this <laughs> the pain that like oh right. yeah I hope this will be encouraging to listeners um that even when you pay the cost you still you know you're walking in integrity and you know you're walking into God's invitation mm. and um you know i I work for a parachurch organization and um, part of our role is to fundraise, raise our entire salary to raise our support. And that's great if you not only paint your ministry in a way that is engaging and invitational to others, but it's also challenging, especially now with social media, if you also post things that are not directly related to your day job uh-huh. but are very much a part of who you are and what you care deeply about. And so over the years and I've been in parachurch ministry for 20 plus years now um, over the years and particularly I would say the last the last five years more so um, uh, it I've lost donors, um, ministry supporters over the years who have seen my, Um, engagement in issues around social justice, around race and patriarchy and misogyny in and outside of the church as being divisive and not core to mission. And um, I've wrestled with that. I mean, I could definitely uh, tone down or change the way I engage on certain social media platforms, knowing that my day job is also related to my ability to raise financial support. Um, but also at the end of the day, I don't think that I could sleep my with myself and, and, and be okay with not using what access and platform I have to elevate issues that I think are critical to the way we live out the gospel on a day-to-day basis. So that's one of the ways in which the cost is, literal. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it hits the paycheck and it hits, um, and it makes you wonder, I mean, I've often questioned myself like, Oh, am I, maybe I could tone this down. Maybe <laughs> it's just not that important and people can hear it from other places. Um, and, and it doesn't feel good. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's yeah. not an easy thing, nor is it a fun thing necessarily to, uh, feel like you're the Debbie Downer on social media. Um, but you know, it's kind of a crazy world out there right now. So,
1: well, I think Kathy, like a bunch of popcorn (laughs) kernels were going off in my mind as you were talking, because, um, I think, well, let me ask you this. Do you think there are, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white man and I've gotten, um, browbeaten for the some of the things that I've said on social media, but There seems to be different rules for men and women and in, in terms of yes. What what cost they pay when they raise their voice and then there seems to be uh, yet another set of rules between people of color and um, People who are white um, yes. True not true
0: Very true. Absolutely yeah. true. Absolutely true and and the labels that are put on us are different they are um racially tinged Mm -hmm. they are um uh there's misogyny there's all sorts of other isms and ajis and all that connected and um i think it goes to show um the danger in that and i don't think it's anything different for us if we read scripture properly right jesus wasn't a blonde blue-eyed man <laughs> even though those, i know i know it's so weird because those were the pictures i grew up with yeah. about jesus i'm pretty sure in my children's bible he yeah. was pretty fair-skinned with blue eyes wow. uh and and the cost of living faithfully and we say that as christians I mean, right across the board, we say that um, there is a cost to being a Christian and, you know, heavy yokes and all of those types of things. But um, but in reality, uh, the labels are, are very sharp and very pointed. And for women of color in particular, we can't avoid all of the landmines. We can't avoid any of them, mm-hmm. right? I think I write somewhere in the book something about, you know, we're, we're mansplained <laughs> at level and then we're also kind of put in our place, whether racially, ethnically, culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, you may be told that you are divisive, but I am more often than not eventually told if I don't like it here, go back to where I came from. Hmm. Right. So there's that kind of the ethnic cultural yeah. jab and somewhere in there is usually a nasty word hmm. that is reserved for women.
1: Yeah. Gosh. Um, and that is, that is, it shouldn't be surprising that that still goes on. Um, but somehow it. It, it's, it's somehow it go, I, I go, gosh, I mean, how can we not, how can we be still there? But there we are. Um, which again is, is I think um, why I feel so encouraged um, that you wrote your book uh, and the way that you did. And it's very um, direct and at times hilarious. <laughs> and um <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, it really is, but it, and, um, challenging, convicting. Um, and so, um, gosh, this gets, this next question gets at some of the evangelical Christian culture that I think drives me crazy. Um, but you're speaking right to it when you write, I believe that Christians desire and can handle more complexity. I underlined that several times. I agree with it 120%. Say more about what you're seeing. Because I think some people might say, no, the Christians I hang around, and I am a Christian, they don't desire more complexity. They, they want it clear and simple and straight and inside, not outside. And, you know, <laughs> so um, um, I, I totally agree. But say more.
0: Yes. Um, I think on the surface, that's, we um, we operate out of easier extremes and binaries. Yeah. I do think it's easier to say this is right and that is wrong. Um, and you eat cookies in the afternoon, but not in the morning, right? Like <laughs> silly random rules and other rules of engagement that society has set up for us, and particularly in the church. Um, But I do think that as we um, engage more deeply relationally with friends, with family, with our neighbors, we we are not stupid just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're stupid. Um, We recognize that it is far more complicated than saying if everybody does X, we will everything will be fine because we know it isn't. We we can just look at the news, watch the news. We yeah. can look in our neighborhoods, and we know that's not the case. So I do think that at um, at a deep level, a deeper level, we as Christians do want and need and can handle the complexity of it all. I think that part of it is we're afraid of how much time that might take, and that um, we here, particularly in the U.S we, there's a, we're not very patient and, <laughs> um, and, and there's just a hurry, hurry yeah, kind yeah. of attitude. And I think that happens in our churches as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, we, <laughs> for about, uh, for more than a decade, we were attending, um, a second generation Korean, Asian American church and the rule rules around time and what you hurry and what you don't were very fluid. Um, so there was a start time, but there was also kind of like the second start time because worship started, but that was really kind of like warm-up worship, and then you would have like the real worship. And um, But then um, at some point in our lives, we uh, switched over to a more kind of white evangelical church that was structured around the values of white evangelicalism, and when when white churches say they start at 1030, they
1: start like at 1030. And sometimes there's a timer on the screens that counts down. That drives me. S- uh, anyway, keep going. Yes, That's right? so funny.
0: It starts right at 10 city. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember when we were visiting churches, it was like, okay, well, this week we're visiting a white church, so we have got to be on time, which means you have to get to the parking lot early so you can find a seat. So, so I think those are the types of things that I see playing out in the desire for complexity and the, the ability to handle it. I just don't think that in a four-part sem- uh, sermon series – we are set up well to dig deeply into how scripture engages with any one of the current events going on in no, the world. No. We can't do it. No,
1: No, not when it's prepackaged to, you know, be the, the, the four things you've got to know to make it through my day. Right. And, right. um, yeah, I, it, yeah, I, I, I've been very influenced by, um, the Jewish idea of Midrash and this, Mm -hmm. this questioning Socratic get around, uh, all angles of the text, debate the text, debate each other, uh, ask questions that we've never asked, believe that certain texts have different meanings for different times. Um, that's given me a lot of hope, um, for the future. Um, but this, this formulaic simplistic, well, the Bible said it, so we got to do it way. I've just... I've just, in this pluralistic, um, globally connected world we live in, it just doesn't play anymore for me. That, right. you know, the simple meaning, and it's just, you just got to read it and do it and and you're good. Right. Um, and that's, Jesus certainly seemed to be operating at multi layers as he was speaking to different people, even in one parable, right? He was talking right. <laughs> like on 17 different layers. So.
0: Right, right. But yeah. we can't get to that in, you know, 15, 20 minutes no. if that's what you're allotted. And, and, and I recognize, again, there's a complexity in that. There are different factors at play, but we deal with certain amounts and levels and values around complexity that afford time for announcements and prayers of the people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, it, what would that look like to expand sermon series, mm-hmm. or maybe to, you know, a couple of weeks cut out prayers of the people, oh. or yeah. <gasps> cut out musical worship? <gasps> or, <laughs>
1: Never. Are you yeah, kidding me?
0: Right. Or expand musical worship. So, yeah. I think that there's um, a rigidity to the way we engage, and and so I am hopeful. I I do think that overall Christians and i think overall people long for some more complexity and are hungry for that we just we're just so trained and we are ingrained in the patterns that limit that
1: yeah for sure okay um this i don't mean this to be a trick question if it is (laughs) ask me to rephrase it okay? okay but are there certain kinds of people and certain people that need to lower their voice and other people that need to raise their voice?
0: Ooh, good question. It's not a trick question. I think that there are places and situations um, for all of us to take a moment and gauge whether or not we really need to say anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and And I recognize that in today's um hmm, culture for a broad term uh there's definitely a need for white men to take maybe a longer pause um before interjecting their thoughts or comments rather than questions um and yeah, and, and that's that's a tough one for me to say as directly as I just did, but the reality is particularly in our Christian circles, uh, I've recognized that most of the voices I have heard from or read over my years of vocational ministry have been white men. Mm-hmm. So whether or not they were the speakers, they definitely were the teachers in the books <laughs> that I read and the content that I engaged with. Um, and and that takes a level of discernment that is required in all of us. Um, but I also think that it requ- uh, there are people it, it all depends on the situation, right? And the, your ability and the agility you have to ascertain your social location in a particular moment. And even in that, to also be in prayer, to be yeah. discerning, God, are you inviting me to speak? And if I say something, is it something new that will move us forward? Is it a question or is it just a statement uh, reiterating something that a sibling has already said and said well, right? So I think that that's, that's the trick. I mean, it'd be easier for me to say, yes, across the board, white men, you all need to sit down and be quiet. I think that there are opportunities and places that I need white men to speak up and do more I think that in a lot of leadership situations still in our churches and all that good stuff Um, you know, there are plenty of meetings and executive boards where it's just all men And and where you know, no one's gonna listen to my voice. No one's gonna listen to a woman's voice We're not in the room Mm. Um, but when we are in the room, what would it look like if the white men who maybe you yourself have not said anything, but the things that you've been thinking have already been represented, um, to, to be quiet or ask questions Mm -hmm. of people who haven't spoken.
1: I'm so glad you went there. I was hoping you would. Um, so thank you for going there um and i agree i mean it, it it and i think this is also complex and thanks for giving a complex answer because sometimes the white men that i talk to they're frustrated because now they feel like everyone's telling them just to shut up and shut up
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know it's like no <laughs> There's some nuance here. Like we can, we can actually listen more. We, we, we actually can, that is possible and still engage and actually listening is one of the best ways, um, to engage. And so thank you for, thank you for going there. I think there's a whole lot more we can, we can all think about and say regarding that. Um, but I want to ask you some more questions. So here we go. Um, parenting your kids. I, I I know you have, um, I think you have three kids and you're yeah. trying to raise them to raise their voices. So how do you do that in a way that's appropriate to how old they are in a way that gives them agency? Um, what are your, what are your learnings so far?
0: Oh, it's, it's been quite a journey and a lot of mistakes and <laughs> some successes along the way. Um, I can give, two examples, one for parents of younger children, um, because my children were once younger. And um, when they were kind of like elementary school, grammar school age, and we'd have playdates, um, you know, the rules that playdates are really fascinating. Um, and it's usually like, oh, the, your friend is a guest. So, you know, you want to make them feel welcome, ask them if they want a snack, uh, let them choose what you're going to do or play with. Um, and, and the guest kind of gets to have first say, mm-hmm. uh, but I also recognize that my children all had kind of special toys or things that they enjoyed doing that were like, it was their thing or a special toy. And so before friends would come over, I would say to each one of my children, you know, if you don't want your friends to play with this toy, um, you don't have to let them play with that toy, but let's put that away. Let's not leave that out. Let's put that away because, um, that doesn't become kind of the point, the, like the centerpiece of your play date, whether or not the guests can play with it. You know, let's just put it away. But giving them a little bit of agency that was age appropriate to say, you know what? Your friend doesn't get to like do whatever they want at the house. There are some rules around Lord of the flies and (laughs) uh, that's what it is at that age. So, you know, and I think it was really helpful for them to know that, yeah, you know, I don't want so-and-so breaking these toys because so-and-so I love them, but they get a little wild so they could put those toys away. Um, as I got older and so my children are now 22, 19 and two weeks shy of 17. Mm -hmm. And so parenting looks a lot different. Um, and I think, uh, we do have some ground rules that are still set, particularly with the 17 year old who is home, who's the only one at home around, you know, um, what kind of, uh, privacy and space. We give him not only physically here in the home, um, but also online, right, with his phone, which really isn't his phone. And we've taught him and the kids know, like, we paid for your phone. We paid for the bill. That's technically our phone. So here are the boundaries. And, and here's where the limitations are. And yes, you still need to turn in your phone at the end of the night. I don't care that you're 17. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so I think there are appropriate ways to say, OK, and if you don't like that rule, let's talk about it. But not when you're angry yeah. or not when you've broken the rule.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think those are the ways we've tried to help them understand. Um, there are we we operate as a family and as a community, but you also have a voice in this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. Okay, Kathy, last question. Um, I think, you know, most of us who are trying to engage in the world in helpful ways and talk about important issues and engage with people that we don't know very much about or know very well, trying to raise our voice and then we say something stupid or we say something that's totally some cultural appropriation and we get called out for it and we feel terrible oh my gosh i'm trying so hard and then and i did it wrong <laughs> talk right. about talk about raising your voice and being willing to make mistakes and and move on um, and all that stuff
0: yeah and and it you know the 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 cost and the speed at which the takedown happens is so much faster on social media. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, listeners realize that not all of your mistakes are gonna go viral, but they could. And yeah, I think could. the reality is that there have been people who've lost their jobs <laughs> between yeah. a continental flight, right? You put something racist out there, mm-hmm. get called out. Um, but the reality is we all make mistakes and we're going to, um, we're gonna have to be humble about that. Um, a lot of my biggest mistakes have been really being silent or trying to say something and not being very clear about it because I'm afraid to make a huge mistake. And, and then it sometimes makes it even worse because people don't understand what exactly you're talking about. Um, and you know, I do think it is harder for us as adults we lose humility and um we we don't like being embarrassed Mm. we don't like being wrong and um and i know particularly from the work around race white people do not like being called racist Um, and what I've said, uh, to white siblings is, um, if being called a racist or that your words are called racist is the worst thing that could happen to you, consider being on the receiving end of racism. And so you may make a mistake but you generally will not pay with your life. And that has been the cost of racism for people of color. And particularly in the US, our native and black siblings have paid that price in a way um, that still plays out. And so if the biggest worst thing that could happen is that you have to call into question your own biases. I think that's okay. I hope that's okay. And I hope that's what we're teaching our children. Um, I'm afraid it hasn't been. And, um, And I'm hoping that it's still not too late, that particularly for the church, we can continue to shift away Um, Because it's still so dangerous Um, We will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. We will make mistakes and hopefully they will not cost anyone a life
1: Kathy, so well said Um, It's a great place to end because I think that's that's just so important so important for me to hear So thank you for that. And thank you for writing this book Um, Mm -hmm. everybody Kathy Kong uh, K-H-A-N-G it's called raise your voice why we stay silent and how to speak up and I'll put a link So you can buy it on the show notes Kathy are there other ways that people can connect with you and your message?
0: Yes, I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram as at the Ms. Kathy Kong MS and then my name and then I'm on Facebook so you can find me there. And then I have a blog, a website that I'll get back to now that the book is launched. Um, and that's kathykong.com.
1: Okay. And I'll put all that on the show notes. So follow Kathy on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, get in touch with her on her website. Yep. And, um, and she's, she's doing lots of podcasts right now. So all you got to do is just do a quick Google search, Kathy Kong, and you'll hear her voice, her book is doing very well. And I'm so excited about that because it's a book that people need to read. And you guys, uh, it's short. I mean, it's a really, it's two parts and it's really, really helpful for any maybe church staffs or nonprofit staff. And you want to learn how to engage with, um, each other with different, uh, cultures, this would be a good one. This would be a great book, um, to do a four week, you know, study on or discussion guide on. So, um, thanks Kathy so much. You were brilliant and helpful and, um, so gracious. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash this good word. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.